The views and opinions expressed by guests on Connected do not necessarily reflect those of Side Street Studio Arts. Episodes may contain adult language. everyone and welcome to Connected. This is the podcast from Side Street Studio Arts where we talk with members of our art community near and far from downtown Elgin. My name is Erin Rayberg and I'm one of the founders and executive directors of Side Street Studio Arts and today I am joined by the infamous, the famous, the one and only Fred Wims. Hi Fred. Hi Erin. <laughs> who, who are you? Introduce yourself. I don't even know what title or what to say oh, about you. Okay. Um, so I am, uh, my name is Frederick D. Wimps. Uh, my title for the city is resource coordinator. Uh, basically, I take care of community service um, and volunteer work throughout the city. Um, I run the Elgin Allies. Um, so that's my hat for the city. Other than that, I am a board member of Side Street. The brand um, new board president as of yes, the president. I, I would just like to say I am the first black president here, guys. It's so insane. Move yeah. over, Obama. Here comes Fred. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you're um, the first male president in side street history as well. Wow. I think a, so. I'm double whammy. All right. Last ceiling to be damned. <laughs> <laughs> um, but other than that, uh, I am a uh, uh, partner of the uh, your neighbor. Um, I'm the the creator and organize, organizer of the Your Neighbor, uh, which is a uh, group of um, artists that are local from Elgin or around the Elgin area um, that throws art shows and kind of like almost like a art community based built show. So um, and then little little sibnets of that around it. So we do like a we call it your mama. Um, it's not like your mama jokes. It's more <laughs> like your mom uh, cooks, um, you know, like uh, show like personal recipes from her culture. Um, and all the food and ingredients comes from the farmer's market that happens in Elgin. And we do like demonstrations of that. Um, and we make a uh, um, two part of version of that well, that's too much detail. See, this was already starting to talk too much. Um, but no, that's too much detail. So like, it's a whole bunch of stuff that we do with that with your neighbor. Um, then other than that, I'm also uh, on the group for Martin Luther King Scholarship for the city of Elgin. Um, what else other than that? I think that's it. I think that's it. I don't think you said nightmare at all. Oh, oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I am the art director of Nightmare on Chicago Street. Uh, I am the originator when it started, uh, and I'm still doing it. And I also started uh, um, Little Park of Horrors, uh, which we did in the change of uh, Nightmare during the COVID times. Um, so we did two years of that, and we're coming up to our 10-year anniversary of Nightmare on Chicago Street. Woohoo! Amazing. Um, I have a, a long list of questions about all those affiliations you just named, but I want to start with, I like to know 
people's Elgin story. I don't, I don't think you were born in Elgin. Correct me if I'm wrong, but how, no. how did you get here and what are you do? Why are you doing so much for us? Yeah. <laughs> um, I came over on a boat with the black people. No, <laughs> um, no. <laughs> no uh, I, uh, I, I was born in Chicago, actually. Um, born and raised most of my life until I was like 10 or 11, 12. Um, so I actually lived downtown, downtown. Um, uh, actually a, a block away from here on Washington Library. So think downtown, downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents, uh, my dad, more than anyone, had this dream. It all started from a dream. He wanted a house and a dog, a gold <laughs> Um, So we moved from the you know, the busy city to uh, our way towards Elgin. We moved to a couple of other places before here, but, and then finally, bought a house and made it to Elgin. When I say us, it wasn't me because I wasn't making any money. It was my mom and dad. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I was moved in Elgin probably in uh, right before middle school. I think it was like I had was in sixth grade for a month and then I was in middle school after that. So um, uh, yeah, so that's my journey from there. And then uh, when I went to, I went to Elgin High for high school. Um, and then that's when it kind of like kind of introduced me into like the greater arts of fine arts. Um, I had some great teachers, uh, Mr. Brownie and Mr. Anzelk. Um, and I graduated from um, Elgin in the top 10%. And then I went and did and left and went to Columbia College back to the city, literally like a block away where I right. was like living <laughs> most of my life. Um, and then uh, I went to Columbia, uh, went there for a very long time because I love the arts. Um, and then I graduated there from with a BA, uh, F in, um, in um, what uh, was it, film, and then a minor in fine arts. Um, so, yeah. So, and then um, I was a commuter, so I didn't ever live in the city. So I was always coming back and forth to Elgin. Um, so I kind of landed back here and, um, and I was just doing uh, work and I just needed something else other than um, my job wasn't in arts. So uh, I was like looking for something to get involved um, and back to arts. So I actually started my own business. And then from that, I kind of did some, I read a book. What I read one book and it started the whole problem. Uh, <laughs> I read a book called the uh, artwork and in the like first chapter is talking about when you should do art for free. And <laughs> I was like, what for free? Um, um, and then one of the things that said do art for your local government or for government, you should always, if you have the opportunity, do it for free. And I did, um, and I did a, uh, this at this point, point of time, this can give you a time period, um, the art space was getting ready to get built. Um, and they had that, uh, the groundbreaking seminar was coming up and that's when the gold shovels, um, uh, they wanted the, some artists to paint those gold shovels, make something out of them and paint them. And so they can have it for the celebration from some local artists. Um, and Sylvia Grady at the time was uh, running the arts commission. And she's like, I know of a guy, um, <laughs> cause I did a show with her, uh, like a salon show earlier. 
And she's like, can you do this? And then at this time, I wasn't really cool about doing art for free. I'm be honest, but this book made me change <laughs> my mind. So I was like, um, okay, I'll paint this or whatever. You know what? I can't paint it. I'm going to create this shovel into like this masterpiece that you've never seen in your eyes before. And literally, that's how I, like, I told her. And she's like, okay, whatever, crazy guy. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so I took the shovel and I actually created it into a three-dimensional, um, phoenix. Um, and with the, the tolls being the goat shovel itself and then the handle being most of the body and it made wings, like a wingspan of like eight feet wide. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and I made it all out of stuff that would be used to construct a new, um, building. Um, so it was like the pink insulation foam, wood scraps I found on the street that was from two by fours, literally built this stuff up from that. I think I had plaster, it was the face, made the face. And, um, and then after I got this masterpiece done, um, I brought it back from, because this time I actually, at the time period, I was actually living in Woodstock, uh, brought it all the way down from Woodstock back to Elgin. And then uh, I gave it to Sylvia. And I was just bringing it piece by piece at first. And she's like, what is this Lego masterpiece you got here? And, um, and I remember building it at the city hall in, the, in, the, in one of the CMO's office. And I'm building it, putting it together. And as I'm building it, like there's a secretary, she's like, what is, what is happening here? Um, and then I built this Phoenix. And then she's like, oh my gosh, I couldn't have imagined this. And I was like, yeah, it's really cool. Um, and I worked really hard on it and here you go. And then she's like, and then from that moment, Sylvia looks at me, she's like, do you want to do another project with me? I'm like, I don't know, what is it? And then that project would happen to be the beginning talks of Nightmare of Chicago Street. Um, and actually when I, when Sylvia pitched it to me, it was a totally odd opposite what it is, right? It is now. Um, it was more like, uh, golden age of horror and uh, like Frankenstein, Dracula, uh, the Invisible Man, you know, all the, those cool characters from like 1950s, like movie age. And I was like, oh yeah, I could do that. Like a fun uh, Halloween event for like the whole family, right? <laughs> um, and I remember going back and then like being so excited about this adventure and like sketching and this sketch. I bought a brand new sketch pad. I remember this by by Batum, because it was like 10 by 20 size, like huge sheets, right? And I'm like coloring, filling in this, like each drawing of each street I would like to do. And I'm like, oh, Frankenstein scene, Dracula scene. And I'm coming up with notes on the side, like we should do a little dance number of like seduction with the vampire. And like, I was super excited, like ecstatic. And then, um, and then somebody calls me like, all right, so we got this meeting. You're gonna meet with the uh, Perks, um, you know, not Perks, uh, uh, Barb Castellica, she's the over special events. And I'm like, cool. And you're going to be a whole, you know, a couple other people there too. I'm like, cool, I'm ready for this. I'm like, I'm going to blow their socks off. I go to that meeting and um, wrote my sketchbook, a little nervous. I remember like filling the inside of my palms with sweat. And I was like, man, it's <laughs> like my first time I kiss a girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> so sweaty. Um, and then I sit down the sketch and um, I'm like, you know, already like a little nervous, but super proud of what I did, right? So I'm like ready to flip this sheet there. So they're all talking about like how, like, you know, what is this thing? And like, okay, Fred, let's show you your sketches. So I'm like, all right, I'm gonna show you my sketches. And I'm gonna give you the best pitch I ever can give. And if anyone knows me, you know, I like to talk and I like to talk with like, with a huge emphasis <laughs> on everything. <laughs> so it was like, all right, all right, guys, imagine if you could close your eyes. 
uh, a swamp thing atmosphere. Think <laughs> of like, you know, trees hanging over, you know, mosh over here, fog over here, and a big old giant street size. And then, and then it was like, street size, what, what, what? I'm like, ball pit. <laughs> <laughs> that you can like, be like, it's like the swamp, you know? Like you're crawling through the swamp with the bomb pit. And like the kids will love it. You can have little swings. You can swing into the ball pit. And it's like right in the middle of the street. And everyone's like, oh yeah. And like one, like half of the table on my left is like eating everything I'm saying, right? The, the, the side of the right, they're like, what is this guy on, <laughs> right? Like. And then it, it was like quiet as heck, and this guy was talking. And then, then I, then at that, that point in time, I didn't know this person to my right. It was uh, Elizabeth. Um, Elizabeth goes, she goes, and this is like a short little lady, looked so sweet, and she had a pad out the whole time. I thought she was a reporter at this time, and she goes, she's like, oh, these skaters are great, but um, I thought we were doing like uh, post-apocalypse like dark night setting. And I was just looking at her I'm like, what? She's like, you know, zombies. And <laughs> like, oh, and then I looked and I kind of wanted to, my sketches literally came back to me. I just wanted to like rip them up and throw them in the air. Cause like whatever I had was like so catchy and cheats and 1950s and not what they're not looking for. They're like, yeah, we want to like make everything like destroyed. And I was like, oh, and zombies. And so I was like, oh, so you want to do blood and guts? Blood and guts? Okay, I can do blood and guts. Oh, sure. And then the, the, the left side of the table were like, wait a minute, we're not signing up for no blood and guts. And then I'm like, no, 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 that's what zombie is. You know, we got to have some destruction. And then it was like, flip up some cars. They're like, what, we're going to flip cars in the ministry? I'm like, yeah, we got to make it real. So like I j- jumped from this like, you know, 1950s, you know, Frankenstein sets um, with like, you know, uh, people with boats on their necks versus blood and guts and guts hanging out of their, in their chests and <laughs> and flip up cars and board up windows and like basically destroying their city. I'm like, yeah, I could do this. Yeah, sign me up. And then, um, but I was still <laughs> at the end of that meeting, I felt very defeated because obviously I planned for something else and then they just told me right out the door. And then um, and, uh, I can remember like yesterday, I was walking away from out of the city hall and then that little lady, Elizabeth, followed me and, and she goes, Fred, like, really, your designs are great. Um, so we want you to come over to our design studio and we want to talk to you. And I was like, OK. And then she gives me this card. And at this time, I didn't know this place was, but it's Acme Design. And if, if anyone from Elgin knows, Acme Design is like amazing, cool studio. But at this time, I didn't know that. So I got the business card and it said Acme and uh, Acme Design, and it had a dog on it. So I thought it was a groomer. I was like, what's this groomer? What are you giving this groomer? <laughs> Take this groomer ticket out of here. Wait, I don't want to go see dogs get groomed. You know, and then uh, she's like, no, no, seriously, uh, you know, in, in my head, I'm like, this is a grooming site. I just, I don't know what they're about. And I put that card in my wallet thinking I'm never going to call that number. I'm never going to go over there. Nothing. I'm done. Um, and and also, I did. I also felt like I didn't get this job. So I was like, I'm not going to be able to do this. So I went home all the way back to Woodstock. And I remember I was like, I need to stop for ice cream because <laughs> I'm sad. <laughs> and I like ice cream, period. So um, we, I uh, got ice cream and then I went home. And then, like, I will say, like, le- later that night, I got a text from Sylvia. She's like, Fred, don't worry. It's going to work out. 
just like that. This is it. I was like, okay, I don't know what's going to work out, but something's going to work out. And then like, I think it was like later that week, I got a phone call from Barb and Barb says, I remember I'd never talked to this person. She wasn't even at the meeting. She, the meeting that she's supposed to be in, that she wasn't there. Um, so she's like, hey, I know like you met with a, our team and all that. Yeah, it's like, seems like you was on a different page and what we wanted. And then she's like, but could you go to Acme Design? And I was like, to the dog studio? <laughs> and then they're like, no, no, they're, they're a really cool place. They, they created a lot of cool stuff. You, trust me, go check them out. They, we need to talk to you, figure, they need to talk to you and figure some stuff out. So I go over there and, um, and, and then I, uh, I think it was like on a, like a weekday, like a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, and I come right after work. Like uh, at this time I was working for Target. I was a manager for uh, Target. So I like literally was telling everyone at work, I was like, hey, everyone, you better do great. You need to clean up really fast. I need to get out of here. <laughs> so I ran out of there, ran red and khaki, <laughs> run and like drive all the way to Acme Design and I go inside. And then as soon as I went inside, I was just like, there's no dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, there's send us. I love this place. And uh, all these cool things. There was like Batman mobiles and it was <laughs> cool. I was just like kind of blown away. And then that little lady comes out, Elizabeth, she goes, hey, let me give you the tour. I was like, there's a tour? And, uh, and I was this, you know, fabricasted. She'd like show me this, like the gallery room and everything. And then eventually she's like, all right, you need to come downstairs. I'm, I'm like already like, I was like, oh my gosh, uh, blown away and can't say anything. And then we go in the basement and it's a 1940s diner, <laughs> <laughs> diner cart. And I was just like, ah, okay, what is going on? <laughs> Am I in a mini Disney world? And they're like, no, no, this is all, we all made this. And I met Clint, which was the owner of the place. And he was down there with Elizabeth and me. And then, um, then there's like, hey, sit down, sit at the bar. Yeah, it's a bar in 1947. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, and we sit in there and then they start um, asking me and they asked me like, hey, well, if you could do Nightmare, what would it be? Mm. Like with no money, no time in mind. And I was like, I would make it real like a uh, real as possible like if you walked out your door you will be in the middle of a zombie apocalypse that's pretty much it like if you can make newspapers make uh, fake newscasts have it playing on like the old you know how they had like electronic stores with all the tvs playing the the newscast i like i just want to make it real like it happened right now um and garbage and debris flip up cars and just like zombies running around and you know like I almost want to make it as real as possible you know have ambulance there like things will happen if it if a real nursery happened um and I was like make it real and I was like I want to trace out bodies on the ground for you know like stuff like that and there was like oh, yeah it was really like you know they liked what I had to say and it was like okay we think you this will work, this will work. And then I was like, oh, was this an interview? Oh, I'm like, oh, okay. And it worked. She's like, yeah, well, we, we think it's cool. We'll see. We'll talk to Bart. And then um, I think a little bit later next week, I got a phone call from, and um, Bart called me and she's like, all right. So yeah, I got this budget. Um, this is it. And um, so, yeah. All right. Well, see you <laughs> soon. And then I was like, "What's this budget for?" Oh, you're doing nightmare. Oh, I am. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And then like, it, it was a small amount. I, I I think it was around three grand. I and I, at that time, 
you could tell me it was like a hundred bucks and I felt like I won. Right. Right. (laughs) So I I went, uh, I hanged up the phone to talk, call my girlfriend, um, at the time. And, um, I was like, go get, let's get Keenan. Let's celebrate. Keenan's my son. And he was probably like two at this age. Um, and I was like, let's go out and celebrate. (laughs) Jesus. And like, I was celebrating like, yeah. And then I thought, and then after that, it it also kind of set in that I had $3,000 to do two major streets in in downtown Elgin. And I was like, that's not enough. (laughs) And I was like, what I'm going to do. And then I was, uh, then I realized I was like, I'm going to be dumpster diving. Oh, <laughs> for stuff. And uh, kind of like came to grounds of like what I needed to do to make this happen. And then, um, and then that's when the planning started happening in my head. And, and then ever since then, I was like, I got this, but it's a way more of work than I ever expected that mm-hmm. it can be, you know? And um, jump forward to that process until the day of the event uh, when the date the day of the event when the gates open um i literally was like you know you know like we didn't know it was going to be uh you know 100 people and 300 people or five people because that's all we sold was like five tickets ahead <laughs> so it was like me and uh five other people are gonna have a good time <laughs> um but it was like I don't know. It was like a miracle. I, 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 I remember it as like a miracle because when the gates open, we had this line, this line to wrap around the like downtown and, you know, and we had about over 1500 people on the first, like their first event, um, which, you know, from coming from nothing, you know, <laughs> we didn't think we were going to do anything. Um, but when it had 15,000 people, it was just like, I mean, not 15,000, 1500 people. Um, it was just, it was super surprising. Um, uh, was it 15 or is it 3,500? Now I can't remember. It was a lot of people. It was, a lot. It was more than five. <laughs> it was more than five. But yeah, and then uh, this scene, like people crawling over, you know, like checking out like our flipped up cars and, you know, boys and guts and like, and people just getting it. Like I, I literally worked on three, oh, <laughs> and it was a short period of time also, I should tell you. We only had like, less than six weeks to pull this off <laughs> less than six weeks so like I, I remember working on a week and we were just making garbage when you know, everyone's like what yeah we was making panels of garbage four by four sheets of garbage that I glued to a panel that we can throw on the ground and make it look like garbage <laughs> right so it was those little things and putting rats jumping over pizza boxes and rat eating cheese and like these little things that I thought was cool but I didn't know if people were gonna get it but as soon as people got out there, like kids and parents is like taking pictures down on the ground with the garbage, like, look at this rat eating the blood. Oh, it's so great. Um, uh, we had like a alley that was just, uh, it was, we called it Bums Alley. We just had like bum shacks. <laughs> and, uh, and we had a thing with an animatronic skeleton pop out and this people just loved it. And, and it made it cool. And, you know, it energized me for sure. I never felt a rush like that before, like making art is one of the things is to, to communicate, kind of communicate with the public, right? Or to other artists. Um, and that's when you feel like you're successful. So it's a line of communication. That's the base form of what art is. And not to that moment, I don't think I ever had a bigger picture of connection with people of more than I'm trying to communicate. And this, that connection would happen instantaneously and, and, and at so large of a scale, it was just 
it was a drilling. It was like, I don't know, it was my drug. I, I got addicted to it real fast. Um, and, and then, I don't know, it made you very proud of yourself. I don't know what, what more to say. Um, I think I, uh, I didn't tear up, but until afterwards when it was taken it down and I started crying a little bit, I was like, wow, we pulled it off. You know, it was really cool and we did it. And then I was like, okay, that was it. Then I was like, oh no, we're doing it again. What? (laughs) (laughs) Come come again. You know, um, I love that origin story. I've never heard your version of the origin story before. Yeah. it, Tanner and I moved back to Elgin the second year of Nightmare, kind of right before Nightmare. And I hadn't truly lived in Elgin since high school yeah. when downtown, you know, was a few restaurants in Hemmons, um, mm-hmm. and wasn't always the safest place to go as a kid. Right. Yeah. And so we were like, okay, let's try this nightmare thing. Like we, we won't invite any friends. It's my, you know, like, we don't know what to expect, but we dressed up and we're like, let's go, we're going. And we're just blown away. Like someone who had grown up in Elgin and had done a lot of things in the community. I'd never seen anything like this, even though Elgin, it has always been such an artistic community. We'd never seen anything like this. And while we hadn't even had the idea of side street yet, we both know that it was seeing the engagement because of creativity that started to like, kind of give us permission to do something, you know, not a, not an, if you build it, they will come kind of thing, but just people here are open, right. They're, they're open to weirder conversations than maybe we thought, which is a big freaking deal, you know? Yeah, I, you know, I love what you're saying, like, because um, I feel like at first when we did start Nightmare, um, and this is from a guy that, that was focused mostly on building something, and then then also, like, having, like, el- el- every element to building that thing. Like, I'm building a house. I need, for this to be realistic, I need people to live in that house, right? <laughs> right. I need them to act like they're family and kids, and that's kind of like what it came to doing Nightmare, so I was focused on that. Right. But at the same time, we knew for this to work, the business around us had to be a part of it. Right. Like without EPH, without uh, Martini Room, um, those two, like right off the bat, was one of our best two supporters. Right. Yeah. They were like, this crazy idea is going to work. And then we we're like, you think so? <laughs> you <know? laughs> and then um, and then for them just to jump in, like bandwagon, let's go, let's do this. Because in the midst of that, we had way more people saying, no, this is not this right. is not what we want to do. Right. Come up with something else. Let's do Christmas or, you know, like, let's do something completely opposite of what that is. That's too crazy. Um, but for them this is to say, yeah, we are try this. Let's go. Um, and then push as much as they pushed on that first, you know, first event. Um, it's crazy. And, and you're right. Like, I didn't know that the city was ready for things like this, but when it started to happen, then I was like, okay, now how far can we go? <laughs> you know, let, what more can we do? Um, and, um, and, then, and then from the, all those people that had said no that first year, after seeing so successful that the Ravenheart coffee shop sold out of coffee that it had to run out of coffee three right. times at night and the cream. <laughs> and then the, the EPA sold out of beer 
they they was just going straight hard liquor for the rest of the night <laughs> within like hours of being open, right? And then Martina Room saying like we can't, we're done, we're we sold out. We still got one more hour, but we don't have no more liquor to give. You know, like that that's you got you, you got to be like okay, this is something. Now everyone else is like okay, if they did that, that's we can do it. Um, so. So we got the next, the next time was more yeses, more people got on board, more people right. believed in it. Now we're not asking anymore, you know, they're coming to us, you know, right. 10 years later. They're like, they're, it was, okay, even though I don't like COVID, I would say no one does. <laughs> but one thing of COVID is very surprising is the people that support you. Like you find out more about the people that you support you when it's a time of crisis than anywhere else, right? So one thing with COVID in 2020, it was the uproar of like, we need to make this event happen some kind of way. You know, like we understand we got to stay indoors, but we still want to come out. We, we just want to, we need this, you know? And then the business, it, they're kind of count on that event now. It's not like just a surprise, this cool event, let's do it. It's like, no, we actually banked like three months of revenue in one day. Like we need this, this so we can survive. So like the, the official, uh, the financial responsibility, like the responsibility to the community, it's, it, it's, it was surprising. So like, that's what 2020 made me realize. And then what we try to do in 2020 is to kind of give that something back to the community, something back to the business to say, hey, we still trying, even though it's COVID and this, this event can't happen. And that's why we created, uh, you know, little, uh, horror, little Park of Horrors um at wing park um it just started to give people like hey we we're still with you we still love you guys we love that community and um and we're not gone we still creative and we're still trying to hit it so <laughs> well i i know you agree i can't say enough about those two businesses elgin public house and greg and lou the owners right and martin yeah. from Ula, the boss lady over there like they it is when you need to feel good about what you're doing creatively, creatively, yeah. go ask them, right? Because they'll look at you and be like, yeah, let's try it, right? They, yeah. It's not just about when you're down and you need assistance because those people are there too as friends and business partners and yeah. community supporters. But yeah. it's also, oh, you want to take that risk? we'll take it with you. Let's go like first year yeah. nightmare or starting fringe festival or anything like that. They're like, let's, exactly. what, why wouldn't we try? And it still surprises us when people don't think in that way, you yeah. know, but those two businesses are always thinking in that way. And it's just, it just warms the cockles of my heart. It's so exciting and invigorating to your process too. Yeah. 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 They're, I mean, having like real supporters that have no reason to like want to, to right, right, right. <laughs> it's great right. I mean I mean honest like I was a strange guy from out of you know left field and you're I'm saying I'm gonna do this right support me and then it was like okay let's try it you know this having that option of trying and I think um I did another interview this way back and it was asking me what's what's excellence um and i my definition of excellence is literally the balance for change right anytime change happens usually some someone somewhere did something so excellent 
to make that balance happen, right? It, it makes the ties to so change the game, change lifestyle forever. And when, when I'm saying that, it's just like, uh, you think of Martin Luther King, um, his, his focus and drive pushed him to make these changes and people believed in them and it changed the game forever, right? Now made that uneven balance more balanced, right? And anytime when it gets too uneven, someone comes in or a group or something happens of excellence and changes it and then balance things out again. Um, and I feel like what uh, EPH and Martini Room are really, really smart about, they know for things to change, you gotta take risk and you gotta believe in someone um, when when no one else does sometimes. And, and then that's the risk, right? Like believe in something that you think it's important and take that risk for it. And then the outcome will come is that balance, that greatness, that excellence. And I feel like that's why EPH and Martini Room, they're still there. Um, they, they take those risks, they take those challenge, they believe in something bigger than what the square offers, right? Um, so yeah, that's, I'm totally, I'm always gonna be, uh, you know, a, like a, a real connection with EPH and the Martini Room, like just because of that. So, yeah. I want to go back to something you said really early on, because it's something I think <clears throat> about all the time. The the book you read, you said it was called Artwork. Yeah. And about when to do art for free, right? When yeah. to work for free. And you know, and you do the same thing. You're constantly thinking about how to get artists paid for the yeah. value and the commitment and the work they're doing for the community yeah. and themselves and, and all of that. And I'm always going back and forth with this, right? Because who knows what step would have been next in your process if you wouldn't have said yes to that unpaid gig. Yeah. And coming, you know, I came from a dance background where the unpaid gigs are over and over and over. I remember I got my first yeah. check and I was like, oh shit, I didn't know we got paid for this. Like, oh my God, <laughs> like $50. And I was so yeah. excited. Yeah. And, but I also know that if I hadn't taken a big number of unpaid, I wouldn't be where I am now. And that is not in an affluent place, but it yeah. is uh, paying my bills, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, and, and running a business and that sort of thing. And so, uh, you know, I try not to, to encourage people to shy away too much from those, you know, I don't like when people say you'll get publicity, you'll get whatever out of it. Yeah. Like, let's be clear. <laughs> I'm asking you to do this for free and here's why. Yeah. But you, I don't know that we can always encourage artists to shy away from those things. I want everyone to be paid for everything all the time. Yeah. I just think sometimes you, you can't turn your back on those different sorts of opportunities. Yeah. yeah. I, I think what you're saying is, <clears throat> I think we have to kind of level the field, right? Like there's opportunities that you know that you should get paid for it and you probably still should get paid for it because it's from a private company and then they're like, do our graphics, but we'll give you exposure. We'll make sure you get 10 more connections. Don't do that one. Mm -hmm. But when you feel like this thing you're about to do is gonna be changed to greater good, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, sign me up, you know? Like, you know, like if you're feeling like this is part of like the purpose of why you created art in the first place, or is it, or it stems to like, your personal idea of what you want to change in the world or be a part of you. I mean, 
as much as we like to get paid for everything, I think sometimes you have to do what you need to do and understand your art is more about, it's more important about the art <clears throat> than what you get paid. So, so sometimes for you to get your word out, your vision, your communication, you have to do certain times things that wouldn't, you know, come in financial, you know, cash. And then, and, and, and think about it as a theory of, is it making you grow or is it making the, your purpose of why you create art grow or the more meaning of what you want to change in the world grow? I mean, yeah, it's that idea of trust, right? So you're, yeah. you're now, I think, to, I feel like talking about trusting your gut in those moments, mm -hmm. right? If you, if you've seen the budget of this asking you for, you know, maybe yeah. you can, you know, but if, if it's about your life philosophy, if it's about community, mm -hmm. it's a, tr like trust your gut on those yeah. instincts in the same way EPH and Martini Room are businesses and they're trusting their guts to say, okay, we're going to open our doors. Who yeah. knows if we're going to be able to cover our staff that night, but right. Yeah. It, it's finding that balance and, and building your spidey senses as yep. like, okay, I'm looking at your eyeballs. I'm trusting <laughs> that we're in yeah. this together sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and and <clears throat> it's, I mean, artists have to put themselves in the risk as well. I mean, that's, that's the truth of it all. And I think <clears throat> in general, we talk, we tell other artists, especially young artists, you know, you should always make sure you get paid because you're worth it. You know, your work is worth it. Your work is worth it. We say that just because a lot of people do take advantage of artists. And honestly, I want to talk to those people more than the artists, as well, right. right? They're the problem. Stop taking advantage of us. Like understand like the value of what we are. Um, and I, I tell my son this all the time. I was like, <clears throat> he's like, so I'm like, who am I? He's like, you're an artist, dad, you're an artist. And I'm like, okay, but do you not understand what I actually am? He's like, no, I'm like, I am the ruler of the world. <laughs> and like, and he's like, wait, wait a minute, you're not the president. I'm like, not yet. Um, no, <laughs> no, I, I was just telling him, I was like, no, it's that if you think about it, art is the gateway to everything we, we know of today. At some point, somewhere, someone designed it, someone came up with it. It's, it, 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 nothing is created from nothing. I feel like at some point, some artists created something. It may not be like the same visual artist as I am, but there's different forms. And he's like, give me an example. I'm like, what about that cup right there? He's like, it came from Meyer. <laughs> and, like, and then I'm like, somebody created it. Someone came up with design. Someone figured out that color is the perfect one to sell. Throw our artists. Like we rule the earth. Trust me, Keegan. Without <laughs> us, it won't be a cool place to say. It'll be all gray. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. And, uh, and then I try to break it down. I'm like, this give, and then he's like, now nah, I got to this point to like, he wanted to point things out. Like, this is nothing about artists over here. And I was like, I will change your idea. Let's look it up. And we'll look stuff up and then we'll try to place on who created it and where the art source came from. And, and like, I feel like if you think about it, artists is part of the world so much more than most people give it credit. And with that said, that's why we're valuable. We're super value. Without anything, we can. Without us, not, nothing is cool and appealing to anyone else. So, um, and and you know, we, we use our powers for good and bad. I will let you know. <laughs> but I mean, but artists are part of that big part of like, I don't know, like community. The reality of what is is. Um, I think artists has got way more value than uh, most people give us. 
because I think at school we have like the artists are the painters and you know the people that you know the little nerds are rock around with the big earphones with their big heads mm -hmm. um but reality we're so much more than that and the industry of art is so much more than that right I mean before I think we was taught at school when I was in school it was just fine arts and then we came to the digital age now you have anim digital animation digital arts and then you have 3d printing like I mean the whole thing of what art has changed over the years it's amazing and then you can look back and like okay now the value is 10 times important right we're making things quicker and faster um, with less time and it's all back from artists I mean, 3D design is most of the people that know how to do design is still the people that know how to scope with their hands. Um, so I feel like give the credit to those artists, pay us our what we do, you know, put it well, in the stars. You're, I, uh, shockingly, I totally agree with you. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think that as, uh, I'm gonna get heady now. As a society, we are starting to invite artists to the table in a little with a little more understanding, right? Yeah. Not just uh, right. The artist designed that cup five five miles down the road at whatever yeah. date and time. But as we're making our new line of cups, the artist is sitting at the table with the engineer and with the manufacturing with yes. the marketing committee and all of that. And I think that uh, communities, funders, governmental entities, right, all are getting a little better at understanding the importance and impact of having really, truly creative voices at yeah. the table, so to speak. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think bringing you into Nightmare is a good example of that. And then how you've progressed in your work with the city is is a great example of that because art in general your art specifically is so much about community and community building yeah. um through your neighbor through nightmare on chicago street right yeah. and so tell tell me a little bit about how you feel the creative side of Fred, which is all sides of Fred, how the creative side of Fred plays into your position with the city of Elgin right now. What do, what do those two things have to do with one another? Ah, uh, man. Okay. So <laughs> I think when I, uh, uh, and, and, and let me make this like a little bit clearest for people that don't know me. Um, Nightmare Chicago Street started 12 years ago. When I started it, I did not work for the city. And then I did not work for the city until the last, the 2019. So like, I want people to understand this is not, I was like, this is my pay gig the whole time. I proved myself over a long period of time. Um, and when I proved myself, I, I was just a volunteer, basically. I was just getting a step in for my pay. I wasn't taking the big dollars that I think almost through kind of like established that I would have. Um, I was taking very little, but it was just that, Creatively, I knew no one could touch me. <laughs> All right, because like I have, uh, I think of the box of what of what was created, and then I was like, okay, this is what most people created. What works in this box? What why people draw into it? Why these are the rules? And then I take those rules and I'm like, okay, destroy the box. Do whatever you want, Fred. What is your imagination lead to? And I think the creative, like my creative power, is comes from uh, just the fact that I was raised with parents that let me 
creatively do whatever I wanted. And I was exposed to stuff very young age. Probably most people would be like, okay, that's too young. Um, but my parents was totally on that board, right? They was about show and then explain, show, explain, show, explain, which I feel like is a lot of a fear for most parents at the young age, but for my parents wasn't. Um, and that made me super creative. So I have no limits in my creative mind. It's not built on Disney, it's not built on TV, it's just built on reality, you know? Um, so I see reality as a creative source. So when I get this job, um, and it's funny because it has nothing to do with art. Um, my job is um, uh, basically built on volunteer and um, community service. And most people say, why are you doing those jobs? Well, the whole time that I'm doing this as a volunteer, I'm using as my workforce is volunteers. So remember the budget of 3000, I had to do that in six weeks. And I, you know, I only, my source of, you know, power source was other artists. And that was because they trust me and they knew what I, you know, had about. And then I knew what their skill level was. I knew what their imagination can go. And, and I just kind of like source those things together. I am a, like what I'm, what I'm really good at is putting together the puzzle. Like I see every person as a puzzle piece. I'm like, dude, look at uh, uh, Jeff, Jeff Kulik. When I met him, he loves Halloween. And at the time I was like, I like Halloween, but not horror stories and all that stuff. It wasn't like my big thing. I had to do a lot of research. This guy already had it in the book. So mm -hmm. I knew that if I wanted to do this well, I had to include him. And then also as an artist, he's a great painter. He sees 3D well, very well and built 3D very well. So it was a piece of the puzzle I needed. I had a guy, you know, at the time was Shorty, um, and he was opposite. He was like a builder, very construction. He understand like construction very well, and he was a part of the puzzle. What I like, my creative juices is also built on logic. I know for anything I want to build, it's possible, but I have to have the pieces to get to there. Um, so like my community source of finding people is that like I, I need these people and I need to find them and I got to ask them to do it for free <laughs> you know like and then like I and I'm selling them on a belief and really I'm selling them on my idea I'm selling on like dude can you imagine our downtown being you know Halloween land and they're like dude I want that I believe that dream <laughs> that's working on it you know so that's what's like the whole idea was and that's what I'm really good at I, I'm good on matching people who believe on the idea of what could happen after if we create this, right? Like the field of dreams, we have built it that come. But for me, I'm like, it's more not about they will come. If we build it, it will be built. And then, <laughs> then people will know we built it. And then, you know, eventually it will build up in this corner of self because I think people want certain things. Like they just want it. And I just want to make sure I create the things that people want and so they can have it. Um, uh, but yeah, creatively, that's why I'm so good at this job. Um, and then also I'm really good with people. And, and I, I, I say this in a way of, um, on the honest point of like, at the same time as I say I'm good with people, I'm also single at this moment. But like being a reality, I am good with like mostly anyone, like minorities, females, kids i'm really good in communicating and like getting them excited about something and want to like 
not only work, but share their lives with some on, on, with, uh, on something and with someone. Um, I'm all, I'm very personable. And anyone knows that me, I, what I would say, if you work with me, eventually I'm going to say, I love you. And they'd be like, <laughs> oh, you just say that. And I'm like, no, you're going to, you, you, you're going to work for it. <laughs> and I will work for it. And you're going to build this and it's finished and this like community of love and you're going to feel like you're loved. And I, and I'm going to tell you, I love you. And, um, and is it the same love that I have for my son? No, it's different, but there is like a love respect of a humanity of a human person. And then like, and, and then your connection with that person. And I, as when we work in cutting wood or lumber and making stacks of two by fours by eight feet, you know, I'm also asking questions about them, you know, like, so who, who are you? Like, what do you do? What drives you? And who's your mom? Who's your dad? Can I meet them? <laughs> like, it's like almost I'm dating this person, but reality, I'm, I'm just trying to like get a grasp of humanity. Like what, why we connect, um, um, how we're the same and how we're different and how more considered I respect you as a person. And like, you can't respect someone unless you know someone. And, and that's what I try to build up. I try to build a, a, a foundation of respect and love. And that's by working and doing things with that person and asking questions and getting there, sharing. I mean, we not only work, but we also break bread together because we be working eight hours a day, nine hours, 10 hours on these projects. And I'm like, okay, we're going to work hard today, but I'm going to feed you. <laughs> and we're going to have a, a you know good break. We're going to talk. We're going to make some laughs and, you know, whatever. Um, and whatever age, my son's been working with me since he's two. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I never, I never signed up for it, dad. I know. <laughs> you just gotta do it. Um, so, <laughs> so my son uh, has been there from uh, this whole time in how I'm building community with these strangers. My son's building, seeing how I build community and work with others, right? And not from any race, not any color, not any age, this whatever, you know? And I want him to understand that so he can have that same thing. Um, and that's what I was talking about, excellence, right? That's what I'm excellent at. One of the most important about doing something excellent is making sure someone's there to see you while you build your excellence, right? So they can get inspired because it may not be you that changes the balance, it might be the other person that sees you go for your goal of changing, right? Like excellence. And then that person, like my son can be, I'm not saying he's going to be a superhero, <laughs> but I'm just saying that it could change his life and it could be the next balance of the land. So that's what I believe in. So I believe in these tropes. I believe in these tropes. Uh, I believe in these ideas. I believe in them like, you know, full heartedly, all my mind all my soul. I won't change. I want better. I want love. I, I, I want respect for the community of Elgin. And that's kind of what came to that my, when I was interviewed. I was just like, you want to know who's best for this. I was born to be this, you know, <laughs> like this is who I am in general. I, if you did not give me the job, I will still do this job, <laughs> you know? So like, um, so that's one of the things uh, that why I, the job happened, and and then uh, and then my creative brain is just about how we. It's really about putting those puzzles and pieces together and building that community, building that that respect, that foundation, that love for this people, and not saying that 
every person I meet, I love them. Come on, that's that's un, uncanny. But what it is is a, a level of respect, so I can have that person work in the community and be a part of it. Because we are all part of the community. This be, by being born, but how you to be a real part of it is how you work yourself in the community and be a building block of it. You know, so uh, and I try our, to be, our Fred joke is you know, if we think of something off the wall that we want or want to do, like, you know, I, I might want to tank for that. <laughs> Fred, you want to tank? I got a tank guy. Yeah. Or, or like, I think I want, you know, an uprooted <laughs> yeah. tree and a da, da, da. let's talk to Fred. You want an uprooted tree? I got a tree yeah. guy. Like, yeah. <laughs> you, you guy, Fred's got a guy. We all, yeah, know. yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's true. It's true. And like, um, I feel like I'm a database and honestly, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like a database of people. Um, and I, you know, I like it. I, I just love mm -hmm. it. What I do. And I love meeting more people. And like, I just love seeing people do something they're great at or just excited about doing. Um, I remember meeting, um, and you know, Aaron, um, I can never could say Aaron's last name. Um, Constantino. No, Steve and Aaron and um Oh. Yeah. And Anna. And Anna. Yeah. Anna. Okay. Um so like I met so I you don't know this quick story but I met Anna's dad while I was getting my second black belt in karate. Yeah. So he was in martial arts with me like all the way to I got my uh, black belt when I was in here in Elgin. And and then he he loved sparring me. He's like, I don't know about it. You always get me. And I was like, I don't know what it is. Because he's so, uh, and then for people that don't see me, I'm a short black guy. I'm only about 5'9", 5'9", 5'10". And Steve is about 6'3", all right? And lengthy as heck. I'm like a little stubby, a little stubby. It, he's like tall and lengthy and he has really long legs but With somehow a really pale complexion, <laughs> really Super pale complexion. yeah <laughs> i mean if you've seen him you probably wouldn't think he's a, a master artist <laughs> in martial <laughs> arts but he is but um but yeah i will always like get him when we're sparring i always can score on him i can hit him i can i can get in and he's like why are you so good at it i'm like i'm good at it because i'm creative <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like you you play by the rules i play by the rules that you know and then i switch it on you so like you, you know a, a regular you know roundhouse kick and i'll make a roundhouse kick with a crescent kick so it was just like always adding something on it but that that's the only way i can get a score on him um but when i met him uh and found out later on he was a master mechanic I was always trying to figure out ways to get him to make something ridiculous as a vehicle. I'm like, every time we have an event, everyone's like, what could we do to make this cool? I'm like, can we make a, a piano with an engine? Make it drive around so it could be like a playing piano while you ride? Like, and they were like, yeah, okay, let me call Steve. <laughs> so I, I'm always trying to like, in my head, like put these puzzles together where they probably don't go together. But in my head, I'm like, nope, it goes together. Um, it will work. Um, still today, I'm still looking, trying to find um, someone to build that uh, piano um, that on wheels. So anyone, well, we have an extra piano if you need it. <laughs> <laughs> we have some of the components ready. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> well, so 
the idea of bringing community together is of course a philosophy that we share personally yeah. and through side street i mean it's we we don't need to go into stories of how we have found each other <laughs> and have had excellent community experiences and stressful and beautiful and artistic and all those wonderful things but you i think this is going to be your third year on our board you know, you've, uh, you've shown work at Side Street, you've taught at Side Street, you've been involved, yeah. and and I believe it's your I think third. this is our third year. Well, third or fourth, because I third. think, we, I think, do we have a full year before COVID? May, I know, COVID makes it mushy. So it's, yeah, we're COVID, it's, it's three it's and a, a half. Like a, yeah, yeah. The black well, hole of time. You don't know <laughs> you came out. Like, was it two years or one year? I don't, never. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, it's pretty, okay, go ahead. Yeah, no, but, but you know, we were excited to get Fred on the board, however many years ago it's been because you had been involved in and a cheerleader of and, you know, supportive of Side Street for so long. And during uh, COVID and all of the Black Lives Matter activity and yeah. um, everything going on in downtown Elgin and around the world, um, and with the time that us not being open allowed, we were like, okay, now is the year to finally do something in celebration of Black History Month. We've, yeah. we've spent years trying to push our walls to be inclusive and equitable and our performances to be inclusive and equitable, but specifically yeah. setting aside a time to have conversations um, around Black Lives Matter around um, artists of color and, and that sort of thing. Last year was the first year that we were able to work on that and ask you to be a curator of that. Um, yeah. And last year's exhibit, you called Black Then, Black Now, Black in the Middle. Yeah. And was a lovely show and won awards and, you know, <laughs> that's recognition. Of stuff. Uh, yeah. But, right. Cool. <laughs> um, and we're excited that in 2022, we're kicking off the opening of the gallery for the year with another show in celebration of Black History Month. This year, um, you've called the, sh the show Black Spectrum, what I see, how I see it. Um, can you tell us how you came about the theme this year? Uh, yeah, this year, um, I think, uh, and you can fill in, I don't know Chris's last name by memory. Arisa. Um, yeah, okay. Our visual yes. art coordinator, yeah. Yes. Yeah, he, he's like, hey, Fred, I have, like, you have any ideas for, like, do an other show for kind of, like, the respect of Black history? And I was like, all right, give me a minute. <laughs> Let me think about this. Um, it's, I think the reason is why Black Spectrum came out is this because as much as I, and, you know, people are out there in the, podcast world I am very black person if you've seen me like okay he's black got dreadlocks his brown skin he is definitely black but um but reality I I feel torn in both worlds right like I I like I said I lived down in Chicago but I lived in Chicago in the you know close to the Gold Coast space as, as close as you can be I was downtown downtown um but my heroes in my life are for sure black people. Uh, my mom and dad, my grandmother, my great grandmother, and and then I was uh, a block and a half from Buddy Guy's Club, and I got taught jewelry by his wife. And you know, like so, yeah, for sure, like black influences in me. 
but there's also a a separation when living in a loop you get cannot separate it from this normal tropes of like not tropes but like ideas of what black community is um i was separated from it even for my cousins and all that so my my spectrum was completely different than the spectrum next the guy the next door that lives you know near me um we're both black but we have two different versions of what that black is right we agree on the black like we both like we see each other yeah he's black I'm like, yeah i'm like he's black black you know <laughs> you know we see it we have agreement on the being black but the, how we see us, each other, and our, how we see Black, the movement or uh, Black people is completely different. It is. Um, and that's why it's Black spectrum. Because um, if you think of color, not think Black, let's think of other color, let's think red. When we all say red, like, yeah, that's red, we all see different colors of that red. Like, the spectrum of that red is, like, infinity but we agree on it as being red. But what we see is completely different from what um, is between me and Aaron. Like we look at red, we see two different reds. And that's just not on what we see at first sight, but also it's about our experience with that red color, right? It's totally two different feelings that it's too much expressions. We just see two different things. So, but we agree it's red. Um, so for me, I just want to kind of touch on that. Like, let's touch on this, this, this spectrum. Let's, let's, let's make sure we know that just being black doesn't mean just being black. It's, it's, it's a full range, right? It's a full range, full range of sexes, beliefs, ideas, culture-wise. I mean, I was, I, I knew of hip hop. I was kind of into it because my uncle was a DJ. But it wasn't like my thing. Like I wasn't born in hip hop. Like man, I was born in it. I was actually born with Michael Jackson, um, <laughs> Blues Brothers, and uh, you know some old school R and B, um, the Motown. Like all this old stuff, I was kind of born with. I didn't get to you know even know rap until I was in middle school, right? And then at the same time, when I was in middle school in Elgin, rap was like just the half of it. It was also you know the grunge I was in it my best friends are white you know <laughs> like so I obviously listened to some grunge you know and I was listening to uh Rage Against the Machine which I feel like Rage Against the Machine every color of every um, rage you listen to it <laughs> you're like you want to get something good that's listen to Rage Against the Machine <laughs> um so uh but yeah and then like you know and even to this day I'm like they were like who's one of your favorite bands I'm like ah, Radiohead I'm like wait a minute man wait a minute. I'm like yeah um <laughs> <laughs> when Tom York, I'm almost crying. No, uh, <laughs> but no, it's uh, it's it's definitely a different. Like my life is different, and um, how I see myself is different. Do I have pride of being black? Oh hell yeah, I'm super black. But I feel like that pride comes because I it's uh, it's unique to me and it's real to me, right? It's not based on a fake uh, idea. I'm not fall into these idealized ways of being black. I just am black, you know what I mean? And, 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 um, and I feel like my spectrum is as important than if I lived on the South side and raised in a, you know, a different side of, you know, the black community 
or it's part of the hip hop movement, um, it still is important. It's still on the same level. It's just a different spectrum. And we need to recognize those spectrums because uh, if we do and we see it, then you can actually really open your arms to the black culture, right? You really can open your arms to these people that we feel like could or we're the same. The only way we can be the same is if that spectrum is living and understanding and respected. So, how are we going to be able to see this idea of what is on the black spectrum, what is on any color spectrum through the visual art in the show? How, how will that idea present itself based on the artists involved or what you've seen so far? So when we're talking about the black spectrum, you're not asking just from black people. <laughs> I mean, it's literally your version of what you see and how I see it. So like, it's basically saying that what you see is it's not the, the grandest own picture of what black people are. I'll never say that, but it's definitely a version of like what you see it as and, and, and want to speak about and how you see it. Um, and I think what we're going to see is a lot of mixed emotions, a lot of mixed things, because if it, it's, it's going to be like, okay, I can identify to this painting, but I really don't identify to this one. But they're both can be there that that's a black guy and that's a white guy. And I actually identify to the one that's black and white and I'm black. I don't know what's going on here. Well, that's the whole that's the whole thing. That's what we should be seeing, right? Um, I think we're gonna give like a some of the work is gonna be very abstract from that opinion of um, what they see. And and then it's kind of like showing respect of seeing something different and not fall into the, the ideas of the tropes of being a black American, right? Or a black person. And you, you notice I say black, not black American most of the time, because I feel like I'm black. I don't know where I came from. <laughs> you know, like I only can go to some point. And when you only go to some point for me, I believe if you only can go to some point, you're just a black man. And then that, and that is American as American pie. I don't have to put the American in it because I'm a black man. And that's American. That's it. That's done. You know, um, uh, in the last show, I was always saying uh, uh, the black story is the most American story you can believe in. Um, and I still believe that. I'm like, man, can you be more American? <laughs> you know, if you have a black story. Um, but uh, but yeah, so and then that spectrum is going to so, show some people that are may, may, maybe not from this area, from this out of town. Um, so it's just like the black culture and from their town and their eyes. And I'm just super, I'm, uh, I'm, I think I'm excited about it for myself is um, I've seen the pieces, but I want to see the pieces in a, in a room, right? This is like this own little community, like that builds up, right? And with that community is already a spectrum and then that's why I want people to realize like black is a spectrum always it's never going to be one thing it's always a spectrum and that's what respecting real culture is about um and in that room we build it we build like a little black spectrum community right when you get in and that's what I'm thinking that most people are going to feel or should expect I, I believe it was the same for the February exhibition last year that you didn't limit the call to artists to black artists specifically. Right. It was it was not about that. Can you speak to, to why you made that choice? Um, well, <laughs> there's two ways. There's a structure way. 
Um, Side Street is located in Elgin, and Elgin is a suburb far away from Chicago, <laughs> right? So the, the Black population in Elgin is probably 8%. Um, and um, this getting local artists, it's very low on the Black community as a, a Black artist. Not just because there's not that many. I think there's a, there's a, there's communication disconnect, and I'm trying to work on that come to you guys next feature. I'm going to work on Black people getting together. Uh, <laughs> big nerd. But um, then the other thing is, um, and at that point in time in February is Black History Month. Black people are like gold in this month. So that, <laughs> <laughs> like, yo, you want to do a show? We need you. Let's do a show. So there's a lot of them are, you know, like doing other shows already. And it's, it's really hard to, like, you know, try to pull artists out and get them that just a black show. And then at the other side, other town is, other thing of it is we need to be realistic on showing what is in this town, right? Like Side Street is big. It's it's not talking about Chicago life. It's literally talking about the suburban life in Elgin. So let's be realistic on what Elgin is. And, and I think that's way more important than us just calling in all these black artists for a black show. It's really about talking about the the timeline, the DNA of right now in this space. And I, I think that was more important than just doing like all black show. Still, we highlighted black artists. Don't get me wrong. We didn't say, oh, you're black, you can't get in. We need only 8%. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, <laughs> you know. Uh, we definitely uh, took in all the black artists we could, um, and then the workers um, show. But and it's all at the end of the day, it's about the work. We felt like it's most important about the work and this communication. We was trying to figure out things that fit into um, black, uh, black then, black now, and black in the middle. Like what fit that definition that we built? And uh, that show was way harder than this show. I can give you that. Cause like, it was the first time I looked at myself and say, hey, you're black. And what did that mean to you being black? I was like, I don't know. I just be black and live my life. <laughs> and it made me actually try to like compound that and actually define that. And that's why that show was it, you know, became. It had a whole long write up. Um, it's just cause I was like literally defining myself on paper and then this and defining the self of being black at any time period, right? What does that mean? And, that, and that's why that show happened and it happened that way. And and then also I was like realizing it's needs to be inclusive to everyone, right? And um, as much as we wanted to have a black show, we don't want the black show to be a black gallery. And black galleries, you come in, you see everything, like, okay, that's what black people are like. All right, let's get out. <laughs> and no, we really needed some real built-in community, some explanation. I think I think Aaron was in there. I was in one time I went into the gallery with my son my, and my son's best friend. Was you there? Mm -hmm. was you? Okay. And um, and uh, his mom came. Um, Keenan's best friend is uh, uh, half uh, Laos, half white. Keenan is half white, half black. So we go in there with his mom. His mom is the white side, it's Renee. She's my, one of my closest friends. And we go into the gallery and Renee was like, Fred, I don't want to go to the gallery without you. I want you to kind of like explain, you know, 
what this show is about, kind of giving me some input, and I wanted Ty to understand, you know. Um, and the show was, it was, it was, uh, man, I, I, I get, for the, these kids at the time were both like, I think 11, 11, yeah, because Keenan's 12, going into 13, so it was 11 at the time, and then Ty is actually younger, one year, so he was 10. So the, the, the issues and the things that we're talking about, very, what most parents would say, very adult-like, um, very serious, but at the same time, it had to be understood by, if it couldn't be understood by an 11-year-old, then why would a 20-year-old understand it either? So I try to break it down and understand, like, the time point of what they're trying to say, broke down each piece, and it got to a point that I was doing this call and response, kind of like, okay, I told you what this is, now tell me what you believe, what you think, how you feel about it, and by halfway in the show, these kids were like leading the conversation. He's like, oh my gosh, this one with the blue line in there, is he talking about police? Is he, is he talking about like just the color blue? You know, like, and then like, why? You know, and asking questions why this is in that. And then, and then talking, we had to talk about slavery and then talking about sharecroppers. This show had like so much and it had about police brutality. And then the idea of like, life and now and and life before and what has changed and should it change um and then they're talking about it's some stuff in that black then black now was also talking about immigration in general because not all blacks came during slavery some came during that you know uh later just on their own choice and then that kind of rise a idea within Ty because his dad is first generation here. So like he came as an immigrant and he can and understanding that that immigrants wasn't always this prominent like okay thing people liked. Um it was holding camps and and this we had to we talked about that. And it opened his eyes so much more and then open his eyes about even the story about his grandmother, because it we start talking about that and like how that's related to his mom, his great mother. I mean, grandmother, his dad's mom. Um, and so it was, it was really cool. It was like it's probably one of the best times I ever been there. Um, and I, Aaron knows this. I take my son frequently to art shows because uh, I think art shows are amazing and they have some things that are about safeness and then some things that are way out there. And then it really does, at the end of the day, it's open communication lines for me and my son to talk. Um, like I said, my parents showed me everything and then they had a conversation afterwards. I had, I want to continue that with my son. So we say, we see some risky stuff, but at the end of the day, it's not about the stuff. It's about the relationship between me and my son and then how I take that information and, and explain it to him so he can be more prepared for the world and more worldly. You don't have to travel the world to be worldly. It's about understanding and um, and kind of like under, understanding and having a, a, a guide for respect of different things that is not you. So. And that's what we worked on. Um, anyway, so that's that show. Um, and then uh, I don't know if I answered your question completely. Did I? <laughs> I, I can't remember, but <laughs> I found what you just said beautiful, and I think oh. it's a great place to wrap up. <laughs> yeah. I I I think being able to walk anyone around the gallery at any point can be really poignant and I've yeah. seen families do that and I've yeah. done that with people and um I 
I just love hearing that story. Those are some of my favorite memories in the gallery that, you know, gallery hours can be kind of quiet and cold in the winter, (laughs) but then a family or a couple or an individual will come in and start to engage with the artwork. And that's the point, (laughs) you know, whatever the, the meaning behind the current exhibition is, the point is to start conversations, even just in your own head, if necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we are looking forward. I think you'll probably be at the gallery later today. <laughs> yeah, looking forward, Black Spectrum opens this Friday and runs for the entire month of February. Um, we're thrilled to have Fred working to curate another show um, with the assistance from Chris Aresis. And there are one, two, three, four, five. There's over 10 artists involved on my list right now um, from all over the area, I believe. I know some work got shipped in too. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be a great show. So I hope folks will will come join us. <laughs> yeah. Come. <laughs> and Check as you may out. or may not be able to tell, we can get Fred to talk about just about anything. So I'm sure he <laughs> Be back on our podcast soon. So, yeah. <laughs> Fred, Wim, thank me. you. Yes, thank you, thank you so much. Um, and I'll I'll see you like every day this week or whatever. <laughs> Everyone, thank you for listening to Connected. Make sure to like us and share us and all that stuff, and find all the side street stuff at all the side street places <laughs> and <laughs> and come check out the exhibit this week if you're if you're not leaving your home it'll also be available virtually on our website um at sidestreetstudioarts.org you'll be able to check out the work there as well bye everyone connected is a side street studio arts production Music by Tanner Melvin. Produced by Nick Mataragas. To find out more about Connected and all the great things Side Street Studio Arts offers, please visit sidestreetstudioarts.org.